Well, this morning, I have, a, uh, <laughs> I have a problem. I have a problem that goes beyond what uh, it looked like when I came up here and had to uh, use crutches. But uh, my problem is that I'm supposed to talk to you from Matthew chapter 2. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. Matthew chapter 2, it's, I'm going to read the whole thing eventually, but I'm not going to, it's not going to uh, play through, so you're going to need to look at your Bibles for this one. But my problem is this, and you may, maybe you don't have these problems. This is a problem unique to me. You don't really need Matthew chapter 2. That's a problem, especially when you have to talk about it, Right? You don't need Matthew 2. You don't need it for a good Christmas story. I mean, you got Luke's version, right? You got, you know, you got shepherds, you got angels, you got Mary, you know, praising God. You, you got what you need in Luke. You don't need Matthew chapter 2. If you're going to introduce Jesus to people, you don't really need Matthew chapter 2. In fact, I could kind of talk to you about Jesus without the Bible, right? And we'd sort of make up who we want him to be. We don't really need Matthew 2. But maybe, maybe if we had Matthew 2, if we include Matthew 2, instead of saying, oh, we don't need it, I wonder if that wouldn't change the way that we view Jesus. Maybe that's why Matthew includes it. Not so that we have a, a better Christmas story now that we have wise men and, you know, stars and uh, Frank Cold, Frankincense and Myrrh and all those things. We don't really need that. But we do need to see Jesus for who he is. And the way that Matthew wants to introduce us to Jesus, <laughs> he definitely includes Matthew chapter 2. His, the second chapter of this really begins to open up for us who this baby really is. And he wants us to know that Jesus is king. Now, granted, he gave us a genealogy that was kingly in chapter 1, but just in case you missed it, just in case you think that he's an ancient king or he's a king of uh, Israel or he has nothing to do with you and the uh, political structures around you, he wants to drill down and make sure that we get it for good, that Jesus is king, and Jesus is king apart from and separate from the kings of this world, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion, not a temporal one. His dominion, his kingdom is spiritual. It's not just physical. And some of that is uh, hinted at because in Matthew chapter 2, there are lots of places. These are the places of King Jesus. And so I want you to see that Jesus is different and that he's different maybe from what we would expect because he's not just a king, He's an exile king. He's not just an exile king, but he's a promised king. He's not just a promised king, but he is a king whose dominion is over the whole world, not just over Palestine. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2. 
And we'll see kind of how Matthew introduces us to Jesus because he wants us to know Jesus for who he is. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then... Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so when I suggested we don't need Matthew chapter 2, nobody else includes wise men as they introduce Jesus. Nobody else includes Herod as they introduce Jesus. Because here in Matthew chapter 2, we have this um, just full expression of who Jesus is. Now I want to get a couple things out of the way early. Uh, the, the first thing has to do with uh, the star. This, you know, it describes it here as a star, and um, I would suggest to you that the star was a supernatural light, period. Some of you have probably heard that it was the, you know, um, I what do they call that, when Jupiter and Saturn come together? We just had it a couple weeks ago, right? And that didn't lead me to any mangers or give me any indication any kings were born. I think that he's talking about... Um, a supernatural light that actually led them to Jerusalem and then led them to Bethlehem in the house where Jesus was. The other thing that happens in this chapter quite a bit uh, are dreams. <laughs> and uh, God's speaking through dreams. God's speaking through dreams confirming what was already in the Bible, number one. But number two, the, the dreams are... Uh, you know, somewhat unusual, and you don't see them everywhere. And so I would suggest that if uh, there is a Messiah born in your home, 
that you can expect to have some dreams. Um, short of that, read your Bible. How's that? But that's, uh, th those are a couple of unusual things about this text. The things that are, I think, really noteworthy is these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So from the east, when we're talking about from the east, we're talking about uh, from Babylon and uh, possibly the, some surrounding area, like Assyria. They're the place where uh, the Jews had been taken in exile now the people from there are coming looking for this king of the Jews. And there is a hint even in the very beginning that there, the, the theme of this chapter is that there is a king that relates in some way to exile. And these Easterners who come from that land to worship the king of the Jews Give us the first clue. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? I want you to notice what it says, that he has been born king of the Jews. He was king when he was born. He doesn't become king later. The one who will be someday king of the Jews doesn't say that. It says, he who has been born king of the Jews. We saw a star when it rose. And have come to worship. And there was this belief that when a significant king was born, and I think it um, uh, went back to Caesar Augustus, that, um, or Julius Caesar, excuse me, that when he was born there was a star. And so people were looking for a, uh, a star to rise with a significant king. And so they put all that together, these astronomers, astrologists, put all the star stuff together and said, hey, there must be a king here somewhere. And they came to Jerusalem asking for him. And they ran into Herod the king. You'll notice that it calls him king there. It's the only place it calls him the king, Herod the king. So already we have here, when Matthew introduces us to the king of the Jews, he also introduces us to another king. And this other king, King Herod, was... Uh, essentially uh, appointed by the Romans to govern Palestine and to keep peace there. And he really was in league with the Romans and everybody wanted the Roman uh, leadership to go away, which meant no one was really fired up about Herod either. But Herod, however, was responsible to govern this region and he heard there was another king. And Matthew wants us to know that the status quo is about to be disrupted. The status quo is going to be upset here as the new king comes on the scene in the face of the old king. Now, the old king here, has a physical territory. And he assumed then when, when he heard them ask about the king of the Jews that, he, that this king of the Jews was going to come in and kick him out and take over. But one of the things that we'll see throughout this chapter is that this new king 
is a king in exile. He's a king without a territory. He's a true king, king of kings, as he's called elsewhere. But he doesn't have a territory, and he doesn't displace Herod. The funny thing then, Herod, in order to get to the bottom of this, assembles the chief priests and the scribes, these, these two groups who were, chief priests were largely Sadducees, and the scribes largely Pharisees. And we are introduced here at the very beginning to these antagonists of Jesus his entire life. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are the religious leaders here who um, send <laughs> Herod the information about how to kill Jesus at the very beginning. And it's interesting that Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, or the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, they knew exactly where he was coming from, where Jesus was born. They didn't need to say, just a minute, let us go look at our books. Just a minute, let us do a, let's do a Google search here for where the Messiah is going to be born. They said, he's coming from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was, was only five or six miles away. They could walk there without any trouble. Herod, in fact, had a, uh, a vacation palace, you might say, within three miles of Bethlehem. You could look from Herod's palace and see Bethlehem. Jesus was born under the nose of the Roman ruler. Jesus was born king of kings within eyesight, really, of the political power of the day. There is, Matthew is setting up for us, a clash really between the political system and the one Jesus is here to inaugurate. And I want you to see, Herod, of course, is threatened by this new king. He's going to upset the status quo. The chief priests and scribes see no change to the status quo. They don't even bother to go. They don't even bother to ask. They don't even bother to say, come back and tell us too. They're too busy with their religious activities. And so it is the Jews in Jerusalem who were all troubled along with Herod. It is the Jews, the chief priests and the scribes, who were too bored to inquire about Jesus. But it was this is one of the things you, that Matthew wants to make sure we see about Jesus. It was the Gentiles from the east who maybe they had a little bit of the book of Daniel, but they'd seen the star and the Gentiles responded to Jesus. That's one of the things Matthew is really keen on. We saw it in chapter 1. Uh, we see it now in chapter 2. We'll see it all the way through the end of Matthew when he says, Go into all the nations and make disciples. It is the nations that are responding to Jesus while Jerusalem uh, ignores him. Well, in verse 5, they quote him the scripture. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, the places are really important here because if, 
if chapter 1 was to identify the person, chapter 2 identifies the places and they give us the clues as to who Jesus really is. And so the first one is Matthew, uh, or excuse me, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, are too little, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. So they were like on it. The ruler is coming from Bethlehem. And it continues to say his coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So this is not any kind of ruler. This is a ruler that comes uh, who, who is from ancient of days. He is unique. Now I can say that much. And I'm going to leave it with that much because that doesn't matter to Matthew. You'll notice this isn't how Matthew's quotation ends. Look there at verse 6. You're by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come forth a ruler. We're good with that. But then, he says, who will shepherd my people Israel? And so we're introduced to Jesus as far as what he is going to do for Israel, he is going to be a shepherd, one who gathers the lambs in his arms, the one who, who herds them and protects them and cares for them. And uh, even as the, the book Taylor read from earlier suggests, he is gentle and lowly. He is the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, the funny thing about that shepherd of my people Israel is that uh, that's not in Micah, but it is in 2 Samuel chapter 5. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us and brought us uh, in Israel. The people are talking now to David. And the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd of my people Israel and you will be prince over Israel. And what ha what's happening in 2 Samuel 5 is the inauguration of David. Everyone is gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate David being their new king. And so all of the hopes and dreams that they had for their kingdom, all of the things that were wrapped into what it meant to be a nation uh, under God was wrapped into David in this inauguration and the words of the Lord to David were, you shall be a shepherd of my people Israel. And so Matthew wants to pull that in here too. To pull it in to say, Jesus will be a shepherd. Jesus will be in the way of uh, David. The promises to David apply to this child. That's what Matthew wants us to see. It's, it's a little bit of a, a hint as to what Jesus is going to do and what Jesus is about. And so the, the promise of Jesus is a promise that he will um, be king, but he will also uh, shepherd his people. Well, as it goes on, the, the wise men find Bethlehem, by following the star, they're there with great joy. They see the baby and uh, his mother, and they worship. They open 
gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And while you may sing about that at Christmas and much is made of uh, the significance of that, I think one of the things that is at least possible in this is that these visitors from the east, from the land of exile now, are bringing gifts back to this king of the Jews. And the, interestingly, when the, the Jews went into exile, the temple was raided and all of the gold was taken out and taken along with it to, to Babylon. And so all the gold went and, the, and I'm sure other precious uh, spices and other things all went and now they're bringing this back to pay homage to this king. And there is a sense of restoration even with the gifts of the wise men from the land of exile. Well, God warned them and they left uh, their own country, went to their own country another way. And Jesus, in the vein of David, this new king with a sphere and a, a reign that is a rival to Herod, but different from Herod, comes on the scene, this king of the Jews. They're looking for, it's interesting, they are looking for Jesus with the same title that he bore above the cross in his crucifixion. And then it continues in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod, for this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And again, here is a unique piece in the story that Matthew's telling us about Jesus. Nobody else tells us that Jesus went to Egypt. It may have been a year, may have been two years, uh, uh, some extended period of time, really, before Herod died, that Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus were in Egypt. The place Egypt, of course, is significant. I mean, you don't have to do anything but read the Old Testament to see that the, the, the people became a great nation while they were slaves in Egypt and God miraculously brought them out. And so when Egypt is referenced here and Matthew wants us to know Jesus went to Egypt. Jesus then comes out of Egypt. He is replaying for us the history, really, of Israel. So much so that it's to fulfill the word the Lord spoke by the prophet. The prophet that he has in mind is Hosea, and uh, the, this quotation is from 11 verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And you're going to look at that and you're going to say, this doesn't seem to be about Jesus. This really does seem to be about Israel. And sure enough, in Hosea, over and over and over, he is saying to them, pleading uh, with God's people to turn from their sin and to, 
and, he, and he's presenting, Hosea is presenting God as a God who redeems sinners. So much so that Hosea, you may remember, married a prostitute and uh, loved her even though unfaithful. And the prophet Hosea is telling us that, that um, the people on their way to exile, there is still going to be a savior. But again, this doesn't have to do with Jesus, does it? It's about Israel. And he then says, out of, Israel, out of Egypt I've called my son. I think what Matthew is doing for uh, his readers is he is giving them this picture of Jesus as Savior, that Jesus is doing what Israel failed to do. That God is all about recovering and redeeming and rescuing people and bringing them back into relationship with himself. He loves them and he's pursuing people and bringing them back. And the, the means by which he was doing that in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel and the promises to Abraham and the promises of David. And then Israel becomes idolatrous and then they're judged and sent into exile and they fail. And Matthew wants us to notice that. And he wants us to say, how does Jesus then come out of Egypt as God's son? Like Israel did. And what I think what's happening is Matthew is telling us Jesus is greater than Israel. Jesus is doing on God's mission in the world what Israel failed to do. Jesus is greater than David out of Bethlehem. Uh, he's, the ruler is going to come. He is greater than Israel. He is doing on uh, rescuing the world in a way that Israel failed to do. And so out of Egypt I've called my son. And then we get into this awful uh, story of Herod. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sinned and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region uh, who were two years old and under according to the time he'd ascertained from the wise men. Verse 17. Then, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, and Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And I mentioned earlier, Herod is no friend to the Jews. Herod is no friend to anybody. This, this is just unspeakable evil that he uh, does. You know, in some respect, it wasn't that many children, maybe 20 children, some people think. Uh, maybe, maybe a few more than that. Not very many. Nonetheless, it doesn't make it less evil. But the thing is, Herod did this to his own family. Herod, Herod killed wives and relatives who were a threat to his throne. Herod was, this is the way Herod rolled. And even in the midst of this evil, we have this reminder from the prophet Jeremiah. In verse uh, 31, verse 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and, uh, and bitter weeping. 
Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And so here in Jeremiah, right before God makes a new covenant with Israel, he mourns the fact that Israel has been unfaithful and that they are being led out to slaughter, being led out to captivity. And there is a mourning and a uh, honest admission that Israel has rebelled against God. And this, this place, again, Rama, is the place it says in Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 1, where the, the prince of Babylon led uh, the people in captivity initially. And so there is this this reference again to the exile. There's an exile in Egypt. Now there's an exile, uh, a reference to exile in Ramah. That this king is an exiled king who was promised and who fulfills all that God wanted to do through David and all that God wanted to do through Israel. And now we have this king living in exile in Egypt. And then verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went to live in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so here we have Joseph moving his family up to the district of Galilee, which is um, really out of the jurisdiction of Jerusalem. It is out of the kingly realm of Jerusalem. It is up north. Uh, somebody suggested that uh, a king would be as out of place in Nazareth as a Texan would be in New York City because there is this, this regional disparity that makes the, uh, the person really in Nazareth a foreigner to um, Jerusalem. Well, we have him moving to Nazareth and we have the same language that might, be, that might fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, that he would be a Nazarene. Now the whole idea that here of fulfillment, I, I think of fulfillment as super, a super literal thing, right? And so I say, if I'm going to be somewhere at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, to fulfill that promise, right, I would have to show up at 3 in the afternoon. Because I think it's just that, you know, uh, solid, but you We've already pointed out that these prophecies aren't specific to, hey, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. There will be a ruler born in Bethlehem and it will be fulfilled that fulfills the, what was spoken of by the prophets. Jeremiah, voice in Ramah, weeping with loud lamentation. There is a fulfillment of that even though it is about something different. And here we have it again. There is a, well, we had it in Egypt that's fulfilled that out of Egypt I'll call my son. And now we have it again. 
There it is fulfilled what was spoken by the prophecy of being Nazarene. This whole idea of fulfilled is not just a, you know, a, a, an X and then a Y. It is a filling up of what God has been doing all along that was hinted at by these prophets. He is, Jesus is fulfilling this in a way that gives its ultimate and full picture. And so that it, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, he would be called a Nazarene. Now, I, I say that about fulfillment because this one is the, the most unusual of the bunch in that you won't find a prophecy that says he will be a Nazarene. There isn't a prophecy that says he'll be a Nazarene, yet it's fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. He'll be called a Nazarene. It, it's still fulfilled, but there wasn't this first piece. Now, how is it fulfilled? Well, the, the name Nazareth uh, has the Hebrew vowels for Nazar. Nazareth is the name of the town, which means branch. And so they are going to this branch city. And the, the, the best that, uh, that I can do for saying how is this fulfilled is to say that for, to place Jesus in this branch city is to admit that now this child is a branch boy from Nazareth. And he is like a branch which which really just oozes out of the Old Testament. This fulfillment here in Isaiah chapter 11, there shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, you know, the fear of the Lord. This branch is the one that Matthew is introducing us to. Again, in uh, Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That is who Matthew wants us to meet here. This branch boy who will reign as king and deal wisely. This branch boy who will execute justice and righteousness in Israel. And again, Jeremiah 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And Matthew wants us to see, I believe, these are those days. Matthew chapter 2 is here because Matthew's telling us, I'm introducing you to the one who is the branch of David, the one who will execute justice and righteousness, the one who will bring peace. I'm introducing you to the branch of Jesse. 
I'm introducing you to the one born in David's line in David's city in Bethlehem. The one who fulfills all of God's promises to David. I'm introducing you to the one who fulfills all that God intended to do and still intends to do in this world through bringing people back to him. And so out of Egypt, I've called my son. I'm introducing you to the king of the Jews who is this living king for the whole world. Now I I think that Matthew wants to make sure that we anchor for ourselves that Jesus is not optional. Jesus is not going to be a supporting player in somebody else's story. Jesus is the central figure in human history. That's why Matthew 2 is here. And so the question for us is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do as you encounter this uh, king of the Jews? This king who has a different kingdom than Herod. I mean, Herod is there as a foil to say, the world of human politics is insecure and insufficient and fickle. There is another kingdom that you must recognize. In fact, Matthew chapter 2 transitions us to John the Baptist and at the bottom of my page it says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What Matthew is inviting us to do is to to realize the one who demands our allegiance is here. His name is Jesus. And he demands our allegiance instead of Herod. He demands our allegiance instead of some religious formula that makes us yawn at all that God is doing in the world. Matthew wants us to recognize that this king who will fulfill all of God's promise and all of his purpose in the world is here. What do you do with him? You repent. You submit to him the things in your life that are not in submission to him, you turn away from You forsake them, you give them up so that you might have your very first allegiance to this king who rules the kingdom of heaven. Now I say that because that changes the story that we tell ourselves. I'm just going to say there has been a lot of hand-wringing in the past several months because we're telling ourselves stories that this kingdom of Herod is going to fall apart if the wrong person is elected, if the wrong bill is passed. Now granted, there are differences between candidates. There are, there are differences in bills. I mean, they're not denying any of that. But I am saying that there is a king of kings that is born to you this day in Bethlehem, and his kingdom will not fail because Herod does the wrong thing. 
His kingdom is forever. And it is unshakable. And you can have faith in this king and you don't need to have faith in those other kings. That's the invitation. That's why Herod's here. Herod's here as the black background so you see the sparkle of this diamond king of heaven. So that you will give your allegiance to him. And Herod knew that and he was threatened. The religious leaders knew that and they yawned and couldn't care less. But what this has to do with us is what kind of story are you telling yourself about what is going to make this world work? What is going to hold this world together? And what's going to hold this world together is the king whose kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. He's an exile king. He's without a place now. But one day, he will have a place. And one day, you will be with him in that place. In that place, uh, you will be, let me just say it this way, you will be glad that you have submitted yourself to this king and given him your allegiance on this day. And that's why Matthew gives us Matthew chapter 2, that we might see Jesus for who he is. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you help us to tell ourselves a different story. To tell ourselves the truth about who Jesus is in relation to all the other powers, all the other um, religious systems, all of the other things in this world uh, that we may look to to solve our problems or hope in to solve our problems. But Father, thank you that Jesus is the King and that His kingdom is forever. Would you cause us again to orient our lives around him? And I ask this in the name of the risen King of Kings. Amen.